0: please visit our website at reformedholytrinity.org. Our scripture text today is going to be Isaiah 51. So if you have a Bible, open with me. Isaiah chapter 51. This is God's word and it is eternally true. We're going to read 1 through 16. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you are hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who gave birth to you in pain. When he was but one, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion He will comfort all her waste places, and her wilderness he will make like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and sound of a melody. Pay attention to me, O people, O my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For a law will go forth from me, and I will set my justice for a light for the peoples. My righteousness is near." My salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait for me, and for my arm they will wait expectantly. Lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath. For the sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. And my righteousness will not wane. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them like a garment, and the grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, and everlasting joy will be on their heads. They will obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and of the son of man who is made like grass? That you have forgotten the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor and he makes ready to destroy. But where is the fury of the oppressor? The exile will soon be set free. And will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. For I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea, and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have put my word in your mouth, and have covered you with the shadow of my hand, to establish the heavens, to found the earth, and to say to Zion, You are my people. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, you Lord, our creator and our redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, we, we read out of Isaiah in, 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 the, in the Old Testament reading, and we're picking up here later on in the book of Isaiah. So I wanted to go back and give a little context that I thought would be helpful, um, because it's context that while, it's, while the names are different, you're going to hear names like Assyria and Babylon. Uh, and you don't hear about them in the news these days, right? Has anybody, anybody open up the news and, and read about Assyria and Babylon? No. No, right? Uh, you might open the news, though, and, and read about Russia and China and Israel and Ukraine. And, and, and there, are, there are countries that you are going to read about, and there are countries at war, and there's countries with unrest. And, and so, um, so they're not exactly the same, but this is, this, these are the kinds of countries we're talking about. And so I, I just want to give a little, a little context so you know what's going on, because Isaiah is giving this word to a people who... I, I've been thinking about how to describe this, Right? You've got got a big guy on your right and you've got a big guy on your left and, and one big guy is kind of coming through and destroying everybody and here you are, little you, trying to figure out what to do, how to live. Okay? So that's the position Israel finds themselves in. Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, they're all realigning their borders. They're going through these different coalitions coalitions is just a fancy word for partnerships between countries, like, right, if, if this guy's too big, I can't fight you by myself, but I'm going to get three of my friends, and then we're going to go fight you together, okay? Well, at this point in Israel's history, the northern kingdom, where we're at in, in, in chapter 51 here, the northern kingdom, Israel, had already fallen, right? Assyria had come through and they had destroyed the northern kingdom. They had hauled away tens of thousands of people. So just imagine, tens of thousands of people were pulled out of their homes and they were distributed throughout the the kingdom of Assyria. So the people in Judah, the southern part of Israel, saw this, right? I mean, these were their, you know, fifth, sixth, twenty-fifth cousins. They saw them being deported and taken away to a different land. They lost their homes, killed looted. So Judah had escaped that fate so far. Uh, but they did that by becoming a vassal state. And it's not really important that you know what the word vassal state means. It just means that they paid money. So instead of being destroyed, they said, okay, you can kind of rule over us. We'll still be here, but we we kind of serve you. We'll, we'll kind of adjust our laws to be okay that you approve of them, and we'll pay you a whole bunch of money. And that was the arrangement. And so as long as you do that, you're safe. You're okay. So King Hezekiah's ruling. And, uh, and, and, and so what happens is, and, and some of this is just kind of interesting. And so uh, the Egyptians and the Palestinians, they form a coalition. Okay, so they get together. And they're like, all right, we think we're strong enough to attack the Assyrians. And so they go and they do it. And guess what? They weren't. And so, so, so they lose, and, and, and Judah sees this defeat happening right next to them. Well, okay, they, they escaped. Uh, Isaiah had given counsel to, to King Hezekiah, and, and he didn't join that, that group. But then the next time, a few years later, there were some more guys who got together. This time it's Ethiopia and Egypt and Babylon, and they're like, all right, we're strong enough to beat the Assyrians, right? So that deal sounded pretty good. And so Hezekiah, he decides, all right, we're going we're gonna to shore up our walls. We're going we're to make ourselves a little bit more secure, and then we're going to stop paying money to Assyria. We're going to get out of this deal, this vassal state deal. And, uh, and Isaiah said, don't do that. Don't do that. But, but Hezekiah went forward, and it did not go well. Uh, the Assyrians go right up to the walls of Jerusalem, okay? They, they, they destroy various cities on their way. They, they destroy land. They get right up to the walls of Jerusalem, and what, what happens? God delivers them. God turns away the Assyrian army. Now, a lot of Judah gets destroyed in the process, but Jerusalem is safe. The capital city is safe. So this is, this is our context for where we're at now, Right? So imagine, imagine if Ohio invaded Indiana, and all that's left is Indianapolis and, and, and the outskirts, and, and you know Bloomington's destroyed, and, and you know everything between here and, and Ohio has been burned down and destroyed and people have been taken away. You feeling pretty confident at that point? I mean, God's delivered you and your city. He's protected you. but are you feeling confident at that point? So this is the context. This is this is where the people are at. And still and still did, did you hear as I was reading how many times Isaiah had to say listen pay attention wake up right? So this is this is still even even despite God's miraculous saving of the city. This is, they're still in a point where they are not in a right relationship with God. The people are not listening to the word of the Lord. So instead, they're afraid of the future. They're afraid, right? I mean, you've seen all the cities around be destroyed. They're afraid of the Assyrians. They're afraid of their foes. And so today's chapter is... A, is the call for them to listen and wake up and do something. And that's often what the prophet's message is. Right? As, you, as you read through the prophets, usually they're saying, you know, stop taking advantage of the poor and the widows. Stop, stop perverting justice. Stop worshiping other gods. And that's not the concern in, in, this, in this chapter. The concern is uh, the wickedness of fearing man instead of fearing god. And we were driving up and this isn't in my notes because I was thinking about this as we were driving up this morning and I was talking to my kids which are helpful it's a helpful time to talk through and and get some some child feedback and they were quiet and I'm like I wonder if the fear of man isn't a term that resonates. But I I wouldn't call that apart from scripture and and god's word Great words, but I think culturally, we would call this peer pressure. I mean, isn't, isn't peer pressure very similar to the idea of the fear of man? If you're fearing man, what you're worried about is somebody disapproving of you. Somebody judging you. Somebody, or somebodies, telling you that what you're doing isn't right. And I, I mean, obviously, the fear of, God, uh, the fear of man, and the fear of God is a useful to, to contrast, right? We should have a fear of God. We should not have a fear of man. And if we really remembered who God was, if we really know who God is, we'd have no reason to fear man. We'd have no reason to let peer pressure drive our decision-making. Right, and and not that peer pressure is entirely bad. There can be some good uses for peer pressure. Probably depends on who the peers are. But let's look at the text. Um, let's start, uh, we'll start. Uh, this is broken up, uh, and and I'm using the NASB, so your, your version may be a little different. Um, and but uh, th- it's broken up into paragraphs. So we're going to start at verses one through three. Um, this is. Listen to me. So each section starts off with a listen, a call to listen. And when God says listen, what should you do? Okay, this is simple, right? Right? When your dad says listen, like, there's a time where you just need to stop talking and pay attention. Um, so listen who? You who pursue righteousness. All right, so this this isn't a particularly evangelistic message, right? This is to the church. This is to the Israelites, the church of the Old Testament. This is to God's people. God's people needed to listen. They weren't listening. They were not paying attention. They were not remembering who their Lord was. They were instead going about their, their daily activity, consumed by whatever cable news told them was the scariest thing of the day, Right? It was what was scary. Their foes. And obviously they had different news sources, right? They had, they had just people talking, word of mouth. It was coming through. Maybe they had, I don't know, somebody who announced things at the gate, at the city gate. Today we've got Twitter and Facebook and, and Fox News and we've got a hundred ways to get scary news about what's why we should be scared today, right? And, and if you watch... Every time you turn on the news, there's some reason that you should tune in again tomorrow to find out how you might, you know, what the scary next thing is going to be. Or how this scary thing is going to develop. If it's not politics, it's, it's economics. If it's not economics, it's, it's foreign governments. If it's not foreign governments, it's your own government. There's always some reason that you should immediately be afraid and also tune in tomorrow. Right? Well... That's not where Isaiah goes. Isaiah goes to the rock and the quarry. And in Kansas, we don't have a lot of rocks and quarries. Uh, Around here, around Bloomington, there's a lot. We drove by several of them on the way up. So you probably understand this better than I do. But he goes, and, and, and I just imagine this first bit is a little confusing when somebody heard it. And so he says, look to Abraham, your father. Abraham's the rock, right? He's, he's where you came from. This is the quarry. Sarah, your mother, this is where you came from. You've got to look back. So, so instead of looking at today's circumstances, the, the situation around you, Isaiah wants the Israelites to look back and where they came from, right? God called Abraham. Abraham is the father of all the Israelites, Okay. God called Abraham when he was but one. What does that mean, but one? It's a weird way to say it, isn't it? But one. How? Okay, so, so remember, Israel's already been taken away. Most, many of the people in Israel have already been taken away captive. Judah itself, the southern kingdom, they've lost all sorts of people as well. But guess what? They've got a whole city there, right? They've got, they've got a, most of a country left. And so Isaiah's reminding them, Listen, there was a day that you were one guy. And then you and then Abraham and Sarah, a whole nation. You've got a whole nation of people here still. Yes, are you reduced? Yes. But remember where God brought you from. Who is it that brought you from one? Uh, read the end of, of verse two here. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. All right, you guys all know what multiplication is? Most of you, there's maybe a couple that that haven't encountered multiplication yet. Um, Right? It's like addition plus, right? It's like addition and addition and addition and addition. And you get multiplication. And so Abraham goes from one guy to a whole nation. And we should look back and remember that that's where we came from too, right? When you read the New Testament, and, and where did the church start? I mean, we're sitting here in, in Camby, Indiana, right? Could, could Paul and Peter have even fathomed that there'd be a church in 2,000 years in Camby, Indiana? But we've been multiplied, right? Just like Abraham was blessed and multiplied, so the church has been blessed and multiplied and we have to remember that. We have to remember that. This is what God does. God takes a rock from a quarry and he multiplies it. He makes more and it grows. All, all of the New Testament is full of imagery of the kingdom of God growing and expanding, multiplying and being blessed. And this is the message to a people who are under pressure from their enemy who are consumed with fear. Remember, remember where you came from. Don't be so focused on right now. God's got this. This is what he does. And it's not like, it's not like they just multiplied. Uh, look at verse 3. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He's going to take these deserts and he's going to make them into gardens. And not just, not, not just like a garden, but like the Garden of Eden, God's own garden, the garden that God made, that's what he's going to make these places like for the people. That's what he's done in the past. But this isn't talking about the past, right? Do you see, do you see the future tense here? We'll do a little bit of English, a little bit of math. We'll, we'll try and mix it up so you, so you get a little bit of everything. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. This is all things that God is going to do. So he wants you to look back at what he has done and take confidence for what he will do. This this is God's modus operandi. You guys know that word, modus operandi? It's kind of a fun one to say. I think it's Latin. I I didn't look up that much of it. Um, But... It just means what someone normally does, right? If, if there's an investigation, like a criminal investigation, like, oh yeah, and you see it in movies generally, I don't, I've never interacted with it in real life, but that's his, that's, oh, he always breaks in through the back window, or oh yeah, he always drives away in this kind of a getaway car. It's his modus operandi. And so when you know that about somebody, when you know their habits, right, I know my wife's habits right? We, we've been married for 16 years. I know her modus operandi. I know that if I want to get out the door, I need to wash the table because that's, that's like, you know, that like clears her mind. And so there's things that just are helpful when you know someone and you know how they act and you know their preferences and you know what they do. It helps you predict the future, and that's, that's weird. Like I don't mean that in like a mystical way, right? I'm not, not here to say that they're tarot cards or whatever. But if you know how God is, and God is consistent, which he is, then you know what he's going to do based on what he has done. So, what do we know? We know that God is going to bless and multiply his people. We know that God is going to turn deserts and wastelands into gardens. And we know this is what God does. This is what God delights in doing. He turns mourning and sadness, and what a message for a people who are afraid. He turns mourning and sadness into dancing and gladness and singing, right? Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of a melody. So there will be singing. You're going to be so grateful, you're going to sing. Doesn't that sound kind of nice? All right, look at verse 4 to 8. This is the next paragraph. So it's another call to listen. Uh, And Isaiah is moving from recounting the past to the current day. So we're going to talk a little bit about today. It's not that we need to ignore today. It's just that we need to keep today in the context of yesterday and tomorrow. Okay. Pay attention to me, oh my people. And, okay, as I'm reading this, I'm going to read it one more time. I want you to listen to all the times that he uses the word my in this, in this paragraph, okay? You ready? You with me? The word my. Listen for it. Pay attention to me, O my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For a law will go forth from me, and I will set my justice for a light of the peoples. And my arms... Oops, sorry, I skipped the line. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait for me, and for my arm they will wait expectantly. Lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath, for the sky will vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not wane. Listen to me you who know righteousness, a people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings, for the moth will eat them like a garment, and the grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. So, this is the Lord, right? My, 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 my. All of these things that the Lord is going to be sending from himself, to them. And what's going to happen to all the them? What's going to happen to all the the foes, the outsiders, the people fighting against God and his people, right? They're going to vanish. They're going to wear out. They're gone. But let's just appreciate the way God addresses Israel, right? I mean, this is a call of wake up, wake up, pay back attention to me, you're you're fearing man, you're sinning. But he still addresses them as, oh, my people, oh, my nation, right? He's still their God. These are his people, and he's calling them back to him. I think this should give us comfort. This should give us comfort that God knows who we are. He knows our frailty. Right, his, his, He knows our weakness. He knows our fear. He knows that we feel peer pressure in a way that we shouldn't. And so he doesn't just condemn. He's calling. He's calling back. Now, there's condemnation here. No question about it. But these are his people. So, my righteousness, my salvation, my arms. Arms is, is a word that, that gets used um, metaphorically. That's probably the right way to say it. Uh, it it's it not talk, like right, God, God's arm, right? What do you do with an arm? Well, sometimes you punch people, and sometimes you swing a sword, and sometimes you, like this is, this is his force, his might, his, this, is, this is God's power but my righteousness, my salvation. All of this relates to God's law that he sends out. Okay, follow along with, 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 with as, as he develops. Uh, in verse 4, For a law will go forth from me, I will set my righteousness for a light of the peoples. All of this is the establishment of God's kingdom. God's kingdom is God's law applied to a people who live according to his law, who live under his rule, where God is the ruler, that's God's kingdom. So even in a land where where the worship of God had waned and and corruption ruled, there was a hope of returning to God and to His law. That God's righteousness, there was a hope. As Isaiah is pronouncing this, there was a hope that His righteousness would be near, and not just for Israel. Like like this is, this is one of those things. Uh, Pastor Brown mentioned it earlier, that, that we, we tend to think only the New Testament does is, is, is the gospel have, in it, have it. And only the New Testament does, does, um, extends to all the nations. But that's just not true. That's not true. We have, we have justice as a light for the peoples. This, his salvation is going forth. God's arm will judge the peoples. This is going forth to all the world. And this rain brings salvation and righteousness that are forever. And that's, what's, that's going to be one of our big contrasts here, is the, the eternal salvation of the Lord versus the momentary light affliction of the Assyrians. The momentary light affliction of the Babylonians. The momentary light affliction of, insert name of oppressor here. okay? Because regardless of who it is, they're passing away. Their garments are wearing out, right? Whoever the regime is, you know, you might say the momentary light oppression of the Biden administration or the momentary light, uh, 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 the momentary light affliction of whoever the ruler is at the time or whoever the governor is, whoever the mayor is, or whoever the army is, Um. You know, you've got, if you're Ukrainian right now, you're thinking of the momentary light affliction of the Russians, which sounds really weird to say, or the momentary light afflictions of the Palestinians if you're an Israeli, or the momentary light afflictions of the Israelis if you're a Palestinian, right? There's there's all sorts of ways to look at this that, that can kind of make us uncomfortable, because when when people are falling around you and and your nation's losing, it's hard to think that these are momentary or light. But yet, in contrast with God's eternal salvation, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? We're talking about things that are momentary and light. The sky, look up at the sky. It's going to vanish like smoke the earth look down at the earth i mean what what do people fight over they fight over the earth but it's going to wear out like a piece of clothing how about the people how about the people around what's going to happen to all the people what happened to all those people they're gone right they've been gone for thousands of years we forgot you know apart from historical and biblical uh context you don't think about the Assyrians. You don't think about the Babylonians. Only the Lord is eternal. Only the Lord is everlasting. His way, his judgments, his rules, they endure. Everything else is temporary and passing away. Even the United States of America, right? I mean, we, we know that. We know that we've only been around for a couple hundred years, and we know that history is long, and, and we don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that the call to us today, is still to listen and to fear God and not man. So listen up. Uh, verse 7. Remember God's greatness today, this day. Don't be consumed by your circumstances. Don't fear the reproach of man. And, and the word reproach, you know what the word reproach means? Any kiddos know what the word reproach, reproach means? It's not a word we use very often, Right? Anybody? Not What's that? Not wanted. not wanted? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, disappointment or disapproval, like when, when someone when someone you know tells you that it's a bad idea or a bad opinion, like that would be. It, it's not a. It's not like a really strong word. It's it's reproach. Um, don't be distressed by their insults. Don't don't get worked up. If you are testifying about the goodness of God, if you are obeying God's law, if you are telling someone about God's law and they disapprove, that's okay. That's to be expected. That's the kind of suffering that we should expect. That's the kind of reproach that is okay. But so scripture warns about this over and over again, the fear of man, right? The fear of man's approval. Uh, Isaiah says, do not fear the reproach of man. Earlier in chapter 8, he says, you are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. Uh, But Moses and Aaron and Joshua give the same kind of warning to Israel uh, in Numbers, Numbers 14.9. They say to not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Or more generally, Solomon warned in in Proverbs that the fear of of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. Uh, David prays in in Psalm 118, The Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And, And that sounds an awful lot like what Jesus said, right? Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And the the author of the book of Hebrews also says that we can confidently say, he's the one that uses the word confidently, confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is not an Old Testament thing. This is not merely a New Testament thing. The fear of man is a sin that we need to avoid. It's the sin they needed to avoid, and it's the sin we need to avoid. And and this is hard because, uh, I mean, one, I don't, I don't often think about this as a sin. So, like when as as I was was doing some reading and I was doing some thinking about, it, like, yeah, but it is a sin, right? Because if God says if He's for us who can be against us? If God says, you're not to fear man, and yet we keep coming back to fearing man, how can it be anything other than a sin? If 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 in Romans it says, anything that is not of faith is sin, and this, and is it is it of faith to fear man? It's not of faith to fear man. So we can't think that we're better than the Israelites. That's, we get in trouble when we think we're better than the Israelites. Uh, they, the, the The potential for us to fear man is just as great as theirs was and and the hard part is we 're maybe more exposed right with social media we we are more exposed to all sorts of men, and so i I, I think it drives us even more to watch what we say, to watch what we 're willing to share to let. Other thoughts, other things influence us, right? The more that we're exposed, and especially as we get out of proportion with hearing God's word, believing his promises, being surrounded by God's people and being encouraged by them, the more that we're exposed to, oh, you know, here's what Instagram, I get so many likes on Instagram if I do this, I get so many uh, comments on Facebook if I do that. What what happens is is that that proportionality gets flipped, and so we're more influenced by man and by the pressures and preferences of man than we are by the conviction of God and His law. Let's look at uh, verses nine through eleven. Again. Again, this is going to sound similar, but it's going to take a, a turn, and, and it, 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 if you're not watching, it'll throw you for a loop. Awake, awake, right? That sounds a lot like listen, listen. Yeah? But who's talking? Or who's listening? Who's being talk, spoken to? Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. So, so this isn't talking to the Israelites right now. This is, this is God. This is God. So is God asleep? that sounds that sounds wrong right that sounds wrong but i mean there's times where god is not acting right there's times where god doesn't speak to his, to the people for extended periods of time there's times where god's distant and so in a sense this is like god saying your wickedness has come up to a level that i can no longer tolerate your fear of man and your lack of fear of me is 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 I'm done with. I'm getting ready to be done with. And so my judgment is coming. It's time for his arm to wake up and judgment to come. And, and this, is, this is what comes, the, the, the imagery of Israel. The, okay, so then we're going to go into the delivery of the Israelites from Egypt. Okay, so it, right from that context into it's time to remember Remember, I've delivered you strongly before. Now Rahab, Rahab is another word where if you, if you don't know biblical context, it can be a little confusing. Rahab is Egypt here. Was it not you who cut Egypt in pieces, Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea? Do you guys know what dried up the sea ref, uh, refers to? Yeah? Any... Any thoughts with Egypt in mind? Yeah, 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 right? The Red Sea. So you've got, you've got them, you're, you're stirring up in their memory. Isaiah, God through Isaiah is stirring up their memory of the way that God has delivered them in the past. Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway? they have to remember what God has done for them to give them confidence that he can and he will do it again. And so by remembering, instead of focusing on what's going on around them, by remembering what God has done in the past, he's giving them hope. He's giving them confidence that 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 is how God will act, that he can act and he will act. All right, Uh, verses 12 through 13 here. I... Even I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies and of the son of man who is made like grass, that you have forgotten the Lord your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy? So this is, this is the accusatory part, right? Who are you? Who are you who has forgotten the Lord your maker? Who are you that you're afraid of your neighbor? You're afraid of us, another son of man who is made like grass, who's only going to last an instant, and then he's going to be gone. Who are you that's forgotten the Lord who created the heavens and the earth? And now, especially to God's own people, they're the ones who are supposed to carry this message. They're the ones who are supposed to have the law with them, written on their hearts. They're the ones who are supposed to proclaim the goodness of God, but instead, they're the very ones who've forgotten the God who made them, the God who loved them, the God who who established them, blessed them, and multiplied them. And look, I mean, the oppressor doesn't even get a name here, and and that's how just uh, because what's interesting in, in the context of history is that it's not even the Assyrians who who end up overthrowing Jerusalem; it's the Babylonians. So so. It's, it's, not even, it's not even the people that they were afraid of. It's the people that they were trying to ally with who end up being their own destruction. And that's all how God orchestrated things. So don't be afraid of that oppressor. This guy that you think is your friend is going to end up being the real oppressor of you. And it's, it's as if God were saying, the comfort that you have now, it comes from me. Your fear of them is evidence that you've forgotten who I am. You've forgotten that I am the source of all the good things that you have. So don't let us forget. Don't let us forget who is the source of all the good things that we have. And that's when we get afraid, when we let ourselves be consumed by our circumstances, what's going on in the the local schools or what's going on in the local government. It's not that we can't be concerned with those things. It's that when those things end up driving us to fear, when those things, even to fear of, for, the, for, the, for the salvation of our children, right? I mean, we go to the public library and, and all the books on display are none of the ones that I want my kids to be reading. But who do I trust in and who do I fear? Am I afraid of that? Now, am I going to, I don't, you don't read that. But I don't need to be afraid I don't need to let that drive me to despair. It's the trust, it's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord that drives those decisions, not the fear of man. And I also don't give them to my kids because of the fear of man. And and so we we can walk by them and ignore them. Uh, We can walk by them and even set them down. Um, All right, verses 14 through 16. The exile will soon be set free and will not die in the dungeon, nor will his bread be lacking. Now this is, this is one of those ones where as I was reading it, this, this probably threw me for the biggest loop, right? The exile will soon be set free. But if you know the context of, of what we're talking about, Jeremiah says the Babylonian exile is 70 years. So how do you reconcile? The exile will be soon be set free and the reality that most people will die in exile, All right? Does that strike anybody else as strange as a little something you have to reconcile, okay? Well, we're dealing with the Lord here, right? Have you guys ever taken a long road trip and your kids start asking you, are we there yet, uh, right? We, we end up with a ticket system. We drive to Kansas, and so it's like 10 hours, and so, as you get a ticket every hour, and, and that's our way of dealing with the are you there yet question. How many tickets do you have left? Right? But for a kid, you can say five minutes or 50 minutes or five hours, and, and they don't really have a great understanding of what those differences are. Right? So are we there yet? Oh, we're there. we'll be there soon. Right? But five hours for them feels like eternity, even though you're halfway there. So, so, what does that mean for, for a 70-year exile? Well, in light of God's eternal salvation, what is 70 years? 70 years of exile is a little bit like being told we're, we'll be there soon when there's an hour left of a road trip, right? You still have a long way to go. And if you have to go to the bathroom, that's even longer way to go, Right? But the reality is, in, in, in light of an eternal salvation, how long is 70 years? So even if you have to spend your whole life in exile, how long is that in light of an eternity of salvation? It's nothing. It is soon. It is soon. And, and what a comfort it is to think that it is soon. Right? Right? I mean, even, even when we think about, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Jesus' return. And what's it been, 2,000 years? But how different do we live if we think that we're expecting him soon? And we don't know when that will be. And that's okay, but it will be soon. In light of an eternity of salvation, Jesus is coming soon. And so we should live ready. Just like those in exile should live with a reality of the hope that God is going to soon set free the exiles. He's not going to let them die eternally in a dungeon, He's not going to let them be without bread forever. This is the Lord God who stirs up the sea and its waves roar. And then the last verse here, verse 16. I have put my words in your mouth and have covered you with the shadow of my hand to establish the heavens. Now listen to these words. To establish the heavens. To found the earth. And to say to Zion, you are my people. These are some pretty grand words, right? I mean, this is establishing the heavens. Founding the earth, right? How does God's word being put in the mouth of Isaiah establish the heavens and found the earth and say to Zion, you are my people? Except by reestablishing the right order of creation, right? By establishing God's kingdom, his rule on earth. So we don't have man fearing other men. We have men fearing God, the God who created them, right? Right? We have heaven over the earth. We're reestablishing the right ordering of creation. The ordering of creation that that was destroyed, that was compromised, that that was perverted in the fall. And so we have, by the pronouncing of God's law, by the pronouncing of God's word, we have that right restructuring, right ordering of creation. So we're returning proper order and we're establishing his kingdom here on earth just like we pray on earth as it is in heaven that we're establishing that right order now I, as i was thinking about this i mean I, I feel like their context is is not that far off from ours i mean if you read the news the establishing of new coalition if you know the the brics coalition um the the wars in in the middle east the war in uh in between russia and ukraine the, the pending, always foreboding war between China and Taiwan, right? There's, there's a lot of reasons that you could be afraid today if you focused on what our circumstances were. And so we're in a different situation, right? We're not Israel, small, semi-defenseless country, stuck between major powers. So it's, it's different. We have a different flavor of the sin, we're more concerned about how it would compromise our life, uh, how, uh, how, you know, what might happen to our sons who would go off to war. But it's not like we're, eh, there's, there's not much risk today, as far as I know, of, of something happening here in the States. But even if there was, what would we choose to fear? Would we choose to fear God, or would we choose to fear that disruption? That horrible situation. Because, I mean, Israel feared annihilation. Uh, but even today, we're, we're afraid. We're afraid to, to talk to a fellow Christian man to tell him he's lazy with disciplining his kids, right? I mean, that's, that's a hard conversation to have. We're afraid to talk to a newly, or a, a, an engaged couple about sexual morality. Even though we know the temptation and we know the possibility for sin. Right? Uh, we're afraid to, to tell a, a wife that her dependency on her in law, on her family, is, is compromising her husband's ability to lead. Like uh, as I as I think through situations like our fear of man and their rejection of us drives a lot a lot of our decisions. Kids, you might be afraid to, to tell one of your friends to stop disobeying the authorities in their life, right? To you know, listen to your teacher, sit down, stop, stop saying that because maybe they don't want to be your friend anymore. It could be as simple as that. That's the fear of man because God says you should honor your mother and father. And so if you have a sibling who isn't, it's okay to say something. It's good to say something. So what are we afraid of? And how does that fear drive us? And how does that affect us? I was thinking about that during, during we walked in late on the, on the Sunday school class, but um, you know, how does that prevent us from giving thanks? How does, how does fear, if, if we're consumed with our fear, are we giving thanks? Are we being grateful? So uh, to wrap it up, We need to remember the work that the Lord has done. Uh, One of the things that we do in our family every New Year's Eve is is we go through and we pull out like favorite photographs of the year to remember the things that happened. Because even within a year, we tend to forget. Like By the time we get to New Year's Eve, we've forgotten what we did in January and February and March. And so just looking back is helpful to remember what's going on. So how do we remember what God has done? And, And why do we do it? Well... One of the ways, one of the reasons we should do it is because God works with each of us uniquely, right? Everyone's sanctified in a different order. And this is one of the things that's both interesting and a little infuriating about being a Christian and being with other Christians, right? You've learned a lesson, and, and, and the person next to you hasn't learned that lesson yet, right? They haven't been sanctified in that manner. And that's kind of infuriating. But it's an opportunity for you to share the ways that God has matured you that God has disciplined you to be helpful to your brother. Um, We also can give people hope in difficult situations. There's all sorts of difficult situations that we go through. And if we remember the way God has delivered people before us, or God has delivered us in previous difficult situations, and we're willing to tell about it, we're willing to be vulnerable to share those difficult situations with someone... Well, we can give them hope. We can also learn how God works, right? If, if you can recount how I sinned this way and this happened to me, well, all of a sudden, we know how one more way that God works. Because God's still at work in our lives. It wasn't that it's just in Scripture that God is at work. God has been at work for 2,000 years since the closing of of the scriptures. So we need to remember that. We need to learn from even more recent history, personal history, church history, to learn how God works. Because this is the way that we grow in confidence in God's ability to save, God's willingness to save, God's work in our life. So tell others of what God has done in your life. Even if you're young, but especially if you're older, tell your family, tell your church members, tell the same story 12 times. It's okay, because then people start to predict it and they start to remember it. Tell those stories. Read, I mean, read the scriptures, right? Read, read your Bible. Read your Bible so that you know how God has worked, because that's the clearest way. He sat down and explained these things to us. Very clearly, but then there are there are church histories that that go into all sorts of stories about fascinating people who God used in their lives. These are all these are all ways that we can grow in our knowledge and our fear of God, and it can diminish our fear of man. I, you're, you're reading Bonhoeffer's life together, right? I mean, what a what a what a great example of that of of someone who feared. God and not man. So, listen to the Lord. Hear His word. His word is the same to us as it was to Israel because God is the one not changing. We need to fear God and not man. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You have been good, and you have made good promises, Lord. Help us to remember your promises. Help us to remember your works that you've done in the past. Give us faith. Help us to see man and our circumstances for what they are, which is passing away, momentary, grass-like, Help us to trust in you and look forward to your eternal salvation, not knowing how many days we'll have here in this light and momentary affliction in light of your eternal salvation. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.